There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. President Kennedy died. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Gene, and Lee investigate the assassination of Malcolm X. Malcolm X was one of the most vocal African-American human and civil rights activists of the 1950s and 1960s, with a stature and legacy rivaled only by that of Martin Luther King. As a child, his father was harassed and possibly murdered by white supremacists. And then as a young man, Malcolm pursued a life of petty crime and wild times before landing in prison. There, Detroit Red was introduced to Islam and self-empowerment, and once paroled, he joined the controversial Nation of Islam. His aggressive, defiant speaking style garnered him enemies in white American homes, organizations, and government offices, while inspiring a generation of young African Americans and others abroad. He rose in the ranks but had public disagreements with nation leader Elijah Muhammad, eventually leaving in 1964 and making Hajj to Mecca, where he reevaluated his positions on racism and self-determination. However, in 1965, Malcolm X was brutally gunned down in Manhattan. Although three men were convicted, they later proclaimed their innocence, and historians and observers now question which of Malcolm's enemies pulled the trigger, or, or, or ordered it pulled. Joining me today to investigate the assassination of Malcolm X are civilian investigator Gene Farrakhan O'Neill. Gentlemen. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Hassalam alaikum, Brother Brian. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Guys, we got we got a pretty big one on our hands today. Yeah, this is quite the mystery. Yeah, it's I feel like when you read into the assassination of say JFK, it's just like endless amounts of evidence right and minutia and you know witness uh reports and trials but with this one it's it's like a period of maybe 30 seconds to a minute where nobody can agree what happened yeah. that's right Brian. Um, it's with a jfk assassination it's pretty cut and dry that it was lyndon b johnson richard nixon and george hw bush working in concert but with Malcolm X, people aren't even entirely sure he's dead. Yeah, he's on the island of Los Kennedys with Tupac and Elvis right now. There's a, there's actually like the founder of the Nation of Islam uh, disappeared, and for many years nobody was sure where he was. Possibly alive, possibly on a UFO. Probably underground with Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, so before we start off, I would like to say uh, my apologies to our listeners for uh, our last episode Everybody, all of my friends who have listened to it were like, wow, Brian, you sounded really tired. And I really did. And I let the show get away from me. So let's try to do this this week's in a tight, focused uh, descent into the archives. A professional yeah, we, investigation. Yeah, Lee and I weren't going to say anything, but we'd like to see a little more effort and professionalism from you from here on out. If that's not okay. a big deal. I am wearing a tie <laughs> and uh, pajama bottoms. So I'm halfway there. Um, so I think one of the classic uh, ways to look into the life of Malcolm X is 
to kind of take him name by name because he he changed his name or, and was known by different names throughout his life, and they kind of delineate uh, different periods uh, in sort of his worldview and his his uh, public stature. He was a lot so like think, P. Diddy in that way. Right. Always well, changing I, his name for some shameless commercial motivation. <laughs> well, you know, he's P. Diddy even shortened it to Diddy. So that's why when they were advertising the movie in 1992, it was just X. Right. Sorry, I was eating a bagel. <laughs> in honor of Malcolm X. Right. Who may or may not have loved bagels as much as me. I'd say probably. Odds are it's pretty good. He lived in New York. Come on. Who in New York doesn't love a bagel? Yeah. If you don't love bagels, you leave. Um, so Malcolm X was actually born Malcolm Little. Correct. Uh, May 19th, 1925 in Omaha, Nebraska. And his father, uh, Earl Little... Um, was kind of, was interested in a lot of uh, black liberation ideology that was going around. He was uh, um, an admirer of Marcus Garvey, right? Who was uh, a very outspoken activist in the twenties. And because of this, and because you know he's living in a small town in Nebraska, the family suffered harassment by white supremacists, and mm-hmm. they moved several times to try to escape this harassment and. When they moved to Lansing, Michigan, uh, their house was even burned down, and uh, they blamed it on uh, on white supremacists having done it. Uh, so his his father was kind of active, and he had all these brothers and sisters. And then one day, when uh, Malcolm Little was six, his father was killed in a streetcar accident. And there's some whispering that uh, he, it wasn't an accident at all, that he was pushed in front of that streetcar, by whom we may never know. But odds are it could have been some sort of white supremacist. Yeah, the, the, uh, apparently the, the going story in the little family and their friends and neighbors was that he had been pushed onto the tracks by white supremacists for you know speaking out and supporting uh, a lot of these... Uh, you know, black li- li- liberation uh, ideas and doing ac- activism to uh, support uh, the black community. So he died and they got, you know, they were denied a life insurance policy. So his mother had seven children and was trying to raise them on, I think it was like $18 a month was how much they were getting. And yeah. it's just awful. Um, and eventually uh, $18 a month was a lot back then, right? Well, I mean, that's a lot for you. Yeah. Even now, I, I'd love to make $18 a month. How much? How many neuros is that? That's about five neuros after taxes. Thank you very so, much, Barry Obama. Barry Hussein <laughs> Obama. So so uh, his mother couldn't even buy all the children a neuro. They had to split them. Man. How many bitcoins is that? <laughs> That's like 40,000 bitcoins. Really? Yeah, especially if you know the code. <laughs> you know that at the uh, before World War II, you had to have an entire wheelbarrow of bitcoins just to get one loaf of bread. <laughs> well, that's why all those people moved to Hoovervilles. <laughs> right. Named after the vacuums used to clean up the room. <laughs> used to clean up after you shit your pants. Right. 
Because you did, you realized you were so short on bitcoins. Way better than those eight pound Auricvilles. <laughs> what? Auric is a kind of vacuum. Yeah, and it's eight. Oh pounds. right, okay. Not like a Dyson. That thing yeah. is serious business. Yeah, well, we're not millionaires, Brian. Yeah, Dysonville. That's where all the mansions are. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, his his mother got impregnated uh, by another gentleman who then bailed. And she had a nervous breakdown and went to an asylum. And the little family was split up into foster homes. And, you know, <clears throat> later in his life, uh, Malcolm X would, would cite this, you know. He's he's already been dealt a, a bad card by being born to a, a kind of a poorer family. Then his dad dies. Then his mom went to the asylum and the family split up. So, you know, statistically, it wasn't working out well for him to have... A good life going forward. And indeed, you know, he grew up in these foster homes. And then when he moved to Boston to live with uh, uh, like an aunt, uh, he just immediately began running in the wrong circles. And he was doing crimes like pimping. Um, He was uh, stealing. And he was also trying to rape Tyrone Slothrop in the bathroom of the Roseland Ballroom. Damn you. That was my uh, one thing to contribute to this podcast was a <laughs> gravity's rainbow reference. Get that talcum powder. Well, um, reeling back talcum, a little Malcolm. bit. Oh, sorry, Lee. Well, you know, he he was originally a bright, you know, young child and was sort of on the right path in terms of where he wanted to go. He wanted to be an attorney, but he was dis- discouraged by one teacher who said, you know, well, you're just a, you know. Uh, n-word and uh, you'll never amount to anything and so you might as well pick some other profession other than a you know being a a lawyer so that's sort of why he kind of gave up on traditional paths to success and uh, i think you were mentioning the the talcum powder because uh, there was a style at the time where you know young black males would uh, do certain things to their hair to um you know make them look like they had more white people hair and so that was kind of a sign that he was trying to be something that uh that he wasn't and you know that that journey eventually um you know took him to new realizations about who he wanted to be the talcum powder reference was actually uh <laughs> a story about uh how he he may have been paid by a white rich man to uh, cover him in talcum powder and then bring him to orgasm, but <laughs> uh, but what you're talking about is conking. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Con- conking was a style, yeah, at the time to straighten uh, kinky hair, mm-hmm. and it involved like I, I honestly don't know the process, but it involved like heating up oil and it, then using it to straighten hair. Yeah, it involved putting uh, lye in your hair. Lye, yeah, that's right, and. Um, Malcolm X, in, in the autobiography of Malcolm X, he talks a lot about conking and how conking was the style, even though it was so painful, mm-hmm. this process of trying to resemble, uh, you know, f- finding a, a beauty or a attractiveness in a white style of hair, as opposed to being proud of your natural hair in the African-American communities and how, you know, that was one of uh, a shameful thing looking back for him that he did. Yeah, yeah, I I conked my pubes once and it felt like my dick was on fire for a year, so personal experience. (laughs) Don't you use nads on your pubic hair now? Nair, Brian. Nair, Nair, sorry. Yeah. The pubic hair is on the nads, is what I meant. Get a good old Um, Speedo wax. Yeah. 
Brian was confused because his genitalia was mangled when he was very, very young. Wait, you're Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jamie Lee Curtis was born with both genitalia, whereas nice. Brian was barely born with any genitalia. It's awful. It looks like a... Have you ever seen that Edvard Munch painting The Scream? <laughs> yes. That's the reaction I get to my genitalia most of the time. That's a self-portrait of your genitalia, essentially. <laughs> no, that's that's what doctors look like when they see it. And I say, I say doctor specifically because no woman has ever looked at yeah, it. Yeah, when a doctor first saw your genitalia, he felt a screaming reverberating through nature. <laughs> we have good times, folks. Yeah. Just talking about my dick. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Your yeah, poor, so mangled, pathetic dick. <laughs> so Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, like he was, he was prostituting uh, himself. Possibly that's a sort of recent claim. Um, pimping, stealing. He worked in the Roseland bar, uh, bar uh, ballroom as a shoeshine boy, and made a uh, um, cameo appearance in Gravity's Rainbow. And then he moved to Harlem, where he continued to do all these things, and. He connected uh, with some, like an organ organized crime, more or less, mm-hmm. and so he moved back to Boston. And he, they were just hitting rich white people's houses and stealing a bunch of stuff. Um, and eventually, he got caught. He was trying to pawn, uh, or he a was trying to fix jewelry. Yeah, it was, it was a, watch. a watch. Yeah, watch. Yeah, he was trying to get a watch fixed that he had stolen. When he went to collect it, they he got popped and. Sent to to jail. So, you know, this is the early, um, or the, when was this? The late 40s, I believe. And um, he he, uh, went to prison. And he was just basically, you know, sentenced to 8 to 10 years. His, his, you know, life was kind of at an end. But. Yeah, that was 1946 when uh, when he ended up in prison. Okay, 46. So, yeah, so. Charleston State Prison, to be exact. Yeah, he's a young man, and he's, you know, he's already got this huge prison sentence against him. Yeah. Um, but he actively pursued education in prison. He started reading a lot. Um, Met up and, with a guy named John Bembry, who I believe introduced him to the NOI, the Nation of Islam, as a possible way to liberate his soul. Yeah, Bembry was a really big uh, influence on him. He was uh, he was very well educated. And very charismatic. And later in his life, Malcolm X said that he was, you know, one of the most charismatic men he'd ever met. And he he never met men who were uh, charismatic in that way, just through talking, because yeah. he'd come from this and life he, of he violence. He got him that and, Rita Hayworth uh, poster that he used to put over the hole in the wall he was carving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because John Bembry was known to locate certain items from time to time, <laughs> such as a Koran. <laughs> Uh, uh, And at this point in his life, uh, Malcolm Little started going by Detroit Red because he was from Michigan and his hair was kind of a a, a reddish color. And Red, as he was known, um, began getting educated in the prison under the influence of Bembry and also his brother, Reginald, who uh, also told him about Nation of Islam. Reginald Bill Johnson from Die Hard 1 and 2. (laughs) Not to mention Family Matters. Right. 
He's only allowed to play cops in movies, by the way. First screen right. appearance was as a cop in Ghostbusters. Really? Yeah, he has the famous line, Ghostbusters, mayor wants to see you. And then Bill Murray says, guys, I got to go. The mayor wants to rap with me. Well, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty famous Hollywood rumor that uh, Reginald Bill Johnson can't remove his cop uniform from <laughs> Ghostbusters. And so that's why he's always just playing police officers. Well, look at that thing. It is just painted on. I, yeah, it leaves very little to the imagination. <laughs> um, so, so it got introduced to the Nation of Islam, which um, we should we should talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah, let's um, get into that. The profitable Elijah Muhammad. Well, the 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 nation was founded uh, earlier by this guy who Wallace F- Fard, F A R D, who went by Wallace Fard Muhammad, mm-hmm. who claimed to be like God's actions in in real life, like in, in on the world, and he converted uh, Elijah Muhammad to uh, to Islam, but it was this very specific nation of islam belief system which involves you know there's a lot of like black unification uh uh ideology and you know sort of some of the same tenets you'll you'll hear uh, expressed by mainstream uh, muslims like Mm -hmm. there's no god but allah and muhammad is his prophet but they believed that uh fard was allah allah personified and when he he disappeared, they said that he was on a UFO <laughs> that was floating outside uh, of Earth, called the Mother Plane. It was floating and, uh, above the White House, and right. they uh, had to evacuate President Pullman before it struck. President Whitmore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, here are some things that I know about the Mother Plane, which is this flying saucer that supposedly. Is is flying outside? Is it still uh, flying outside to this day? Yeah, because it won't come back until the end times. Some somewhere, David Duchovny is trying to hunt it down so he can fuck it. All right, exactly. Uh, while chewing on some sunflower seeds, um, the mother plane is made of the finest steel in Asia. It was made on the island of Nippon, Japan, in 1929, and also took flight that same year. Uh, scientists didn't know what they were building. Here we go. Her size is a half mile by a half mile square. Her shape is oval. Her speed is up to 9,000 miles per hour. Well, it sounds pretty identified to me, Brian. What is unidentified about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the destruction comes, America will burn for 390 years and take 610 years to cool off. The Great Mystery Babylon, parentheses, America, will perish in the flames of fire. Allah will even cause the air which we breathe to ignite along with the atmosphere. Every atom will burn in and over America from a height of 12 miles down. From Gozer the Destroyer. (laughs) Sounds like my mother-in-law. Right. So basically, uh, Fard was the gatekeeper and Elijah Muhammad was the key master. Right. And Reginald Vell Johnson is the cop. Right. So <laughs> Hang Fard in there, disa- Roy. <laughs> Fard disappeared and there they didn't nobody really knew what happened to him. So, uh, some of the nation claimed that he was on this mother plane, this flying saucer. <laughs> and um others uh claimed that he went to Pakistan or possibly Mecca. 
But when he disappeared, Elijah Muhammad took over, and he was this very charismatic leader who pushed all of this uh, nation philosophy, did a lot of speaking, wrote a lot. and He later got flown away by the Jefferson uh, starship. Right, exactly. Um, But the nation was very small. It was only – they think it was like 500 people uh, about the time that Malcolm X joined. But once he started learning about it in prison, he started changing his ways, stopped smoking cigarettes, stopped eating pork, began learning a lot. And uh, he said that he started to read because he wanted to validate a lot of the nation's claims. And so he was very well read. He was reading in prison Shakespeare, Milton, uh, a lot of history like Will Durant and H.G. Wells. Um, he did a production of Othello, but it was cool because it like took place in modern times, <laughs> right? And it Masks was an all-white production of Othello. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really experimental. Yeah. He also started reading a lot about slaves and the slave trade, which uh, is a big part of Nation of Islam teachings, and that is that um, black is the original ethnicity, and all other ethnicities are. Uh, descended from that and there are biblical prophecies that uh, the blacks would eventually be enslaved and robbed of their heritage and culture by being shipped to the United States come on that will never happen <laughs> so the, the 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 best theory of the the nation of Islam is that this guy named Jacob who is supposed to be uh, the biblical Yakov Smirnoff <laughs> um, he was like a crazy scientist that created white man as like an evil devil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually the term for uh, white people, at least in this period of nation history, was white devils. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this uh, in his autobiography and elsewhere, uh, Malcolm X says a lot of things about like re- reevaluating every relationship he'd ever had with a white person and realizing that it was all founded on lies and deceit on behalf of the white person that he was dealing with. And so he really embraced the nation's teachings and started to recruit others in the prison, eventually, you know, converting quite a, quite a huge majority of the uh, other black prisoners and to the point that the prison uh, officials transferred him to another prison. And when he got to this new one, this is sort of the first time that he started doing any sort of activism because he he and three other Muslims demanded uh, respect for the religion the same way that Christian and Jewish prisoners uh, received treatment. Yeah, I'm sure they treated Jewish people really well in prison, too. <laughs> well, you know, they didn't serve them pork and uh, they didn't make them work on Saturdays. And so uh, Malcolm X and, and, his, and these three others, including one of his brothers, they also, you know, wanted pork alternatives. They wanted off for certain uh, Islamic holidays and the prison refused to grant them. They wanted their sandos with no mayo. <laughs> they wanted their champagne chilled. <laughs> and so um, eventually this, uh, the local media caught a hold of this and reported it and started putting immense pressure on the prisoner officials and they won the their the the treatment that they were asking for so that's sort of one of the first times that malcolm x organized and was able to you know make make some sort of change 
And by treatment that they were asking for, you mean the uh, Spike Lee treatment for the movie Malcolm X that they were trying to uh, get out of development hell at the time. Right. I mean, you know, Spike Lee had a really bad elevator pitch for the movie because he kind of droned on a long time. He couldn't really say concisely exactly what the movie was going to be like. When all he should have said was, have you listened to Denzel Washington's voice and compared it to Malcolm X's? Because they sound exactly It's basically the same. Well, originally Spike Lee wanted Tim Meadows to play. (laughs) Oh, really? Well, you know a lot about Tim Meadows. Yeah, because David Allen Greer wasn't available. (laughs) Yeah. His Um, asking price was just through the roof at the time. uh, So... Also at this time, and this is about 1950 through 1952, Malcolm X started writing a lot of his former hustling buddies and telling them about the nation, as well as writing public officials and legislators, including President Harry Truman, to whom he uh, proclaimed himself a communist and uh, decried the Korean War, which was currently happening. And that's how he got an FBI file. Exactly. Which started in 1952 and ended with his death in 1965. At Although it was pretty 4, easy 000. to get an FBI file back in the day. Like, all you had yeah. to do was, like, wear a red shirt, and then, you know, you got an <laughs> FBI file. Like, I mean, even well, Indiana Jones got an FBI file at the beginning of Crystal Skull because he survived a nuclear attack in a refrigerator. You just had to be born non-heterosexual, non-white male, and you had an FBI right. file. Yes. Yeah, uh, reading anything about J. Edgar Hoover, it's just like he he was the craziest fucking person alive rabid anti-communist and uh just put got files on everyone so he was able to continue in his post for decades because he just had shit on everyone when do you even get around to looking at all those files you know well lee is good at you know tunneling deep into the archives it's like when you amass like a giant porn collection and it just adds up to like years and years worth of porn and you're just like ah, when am i ever gonna even watch all this well, he did have a massive porn collection. It was all porn that uh, FBI people had taken of famous figures to use as blackmail. <laughs> right. JFK and Marilyn Monroe fucking. Um... That was it. That was like the only porn back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the first episode of Playboy. If was... you couldn't get your hands on that JFK <laughs> Marilyn Monroe porn, you were basically left to your own imagination. It's basically the right. holy grail of pornography. That's why they keep it in that unmarked box in that huge secret archives. Out in the woods, in a tin can. <laughs> Out in the woods, in a washing machine. Yeah. Um, so, he he was doing all this speaking and all this, or uh, sorry, all this writing and all this activism in prison. And eventually he was paroled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uh, he was able to leave prison. In... That's generally what parole means. <laughs> in the summer of 1952. He was paroled into a nicer prison. <laughs> known as America. Yeah, seriously. Uh, well, you know, it, that that is basically the way he saw it. Because yeah. he, um, you know, in a lot of his speeches uh, around that time, doing uh, recruitment for the nation and publicity of their beliefs... He talked about, you know, and you can you can hear these speeches or, or read them, and a, a lot of the things that he was saying were like, you know, he's not an American, and the 22 million uh, blacks in America are not Americans, and the Constitution is not for them. Um, the, the Constitution the, is for three-fourths of them, to be fair. <laughs> Three-fifths. Three-fifths, right. Um, but... 
once he got out of prison, he started working heavily for the nation. And from, you know, the early 50s up until he left in the in the 60s, he was recruiting huge numbers of people into the nation. And so, you know, some of the estimates are that he, he transformed it from a group of maybe 500 to 1,000 to a group of 50,000, um, which, you know... And sales of skinny little black ties went up astronomically. Yeah, as well as, uh, you know, thick-rimmed black glasses. They were the original Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, exactly. And they always argued because Steve Buscemi would never put in a tip. But man, when they all walked in slow motion down an alley, look out. Little green bag, my friend. Um, but when he when he came out of prison, he was known as Malcolm X. And the reason that he changed his name was that he, the X stood, you know, was an infinitive, basically. It stood he didn't, for... He didn't know what his original name was, because, you know, his, his forebearers were taken from their home in Africa and, and given, um, you know, their, their slave name, which was essentially meant that when you were purchased by a white person as part of the slave trade, you took their name and your name was erased. And so many people in the nation of Islam cast aside their slave, slave name and would rather have a stark moniker of X because they'd rather be known by a mystery than be known by their shackles. Also, there was already a WWF character named Malcolm Little. So <laughs> yeah, seriously. if he was going to compete for the Intercontinental Championship belt, he was going to have to have a different name. Yeah, it's kind of like how Samuel Jackson had to put the L in there because there already was a guy in SAG named Samuel Jackson. Right, Michael Keaton, Michael Douglas. <laughs> What? Yeah, Michael, Michael Keaton's Ke- real name is Michael Douglas. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No relation oh, wow. to Diane Keaton. He just liked the name. But Michael Douglas's name is actually Batman. So just the rabbit hole never ends. Yeah. <laughs> there was already a Batman when Michael Douglas was trying to be an actor. Adam West. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that that's a problem in your family, Gene, because your dad is also named Eugene O'Neill. And... There is a very famous Eugene O'Neill and others in SAG. Right. And, uh, like, in my quest to become a screenwriter, my dad has told me that, uh, like, yeah, if you're in the Writers Guild, you can't have the same name as somebody else in the Guild. And since my dad somehow has already taken Eugene F. O'Neill and Gene F. O'Neill, his suggestion Wait, to he's me was both? that I could be E. F. O'Neill or E. Francis O'Neill. <laughs> E. Francis O'Neill, I kind of like that. Yeah, like, thanks, Dad, for giving me your name and then taking both versions of our name. You should just be Gene X, dude. Yeah, you Gene X. yeah, Gene X. Fuck you, Dad. (laughs) It sounds like Gen X, too, so you can, like, listen to Nirvana. Oh, man, I'll totally be the voice of a generation older than me. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So one of the first things that Malcolm X was really known for publicly was um, this beating that occurred in Harlem that he mm-hmm. protested. Um, there was this guy named Hinton who was attacked by NYPD officers and beaten. Um, some other Muslims tried to interfere and they were all arrested and taken to prison. And so this guy Hinton had been beaten severely and needed medical attention. But he was just taken and thrown into a jail cell. And so Malcolm X rounded up uh, Muslims in the area. This is in Harlem. 
he he rounded up Muslims in the area and nation members, and they went and protested and you know demanded the right to speak with these uh, these men who had been arrested and to get Hinton to a hospital, and the police basically refused. Mm-hmm. And you know this storm of criticism. Eventually, Malcolm X and some others were allowed in, and they were able to get Hinton to the ho- a hospital nearby. Where, you know, he had suffered from brain contusions and hemorrhages in, in, in his skull. It was very severe. Um, and after he was briefly treated, he was returned to the police station. And, you know, Malcolm X had, you know, I think it was like 500 um, local Muslims and nation members just outside the police the station. And... Yeah, they were just standing out in the street, kind of staring them down. And eventually when they had been uh, treated respectfully and arraigned and allowed to go to the hospital and, you know, charges were dismissed. He called off the, uh, the, so the, the, all the people that were standing outside. And that was the However, power of Malcolm X. And that was the first time that it became manifest. And I think that's why he, he scared so many white people in power is that, you know, people would, would do what he's, what he said. And, um, right. Nothing scares white people like a bunch of black people standing around. Um, so <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. It's, it's sad, but it's true. And you know, Malcolm X. I, I think that um, he, his character has been so besmirched, even by liberal America today, because um, you know everyone concentrates on the part of his life when you know. Uh, he was preaching a sort of extremist view, even though, as you pointed out in the intro, later in life he sort of reeled back and and uh, took a softer approach to to you know solving the rift between the races. Um, but everyone concentrates on you know the the scary side of Malcolm X. But the truth is, Malcolm X never hurt anybody in his whole life, uh, except when he was a pimp. Well, no, I mean, but that was when he was Malcolm Little, though. Malcolm X, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He really, it's, it it is really true, and he writes about it in his autobiography about that conversion to religion and the realization uh, that he had to humble himself before God, Mm -hmm. uh, and and the idea of uh, you know praying to a God really changed his thinking about a lot of the way that he acted towards others, and right, and because if you're not humble. If you're not humble before God, that thing from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade will slice through you. Right, exactly. Man, we should do that. Try to get the Holy Grail from the Nazis? Uh, yeah, I guess we should do that, too. I was talking about humbling ourselves before God, but on our way to humbling ourselves, we should also get the Holy Grail. We got a long list of stuff to do on a Saturday, guys. Got to humble ourselves before God. We got to stop the Nazis from uncovering the Grail, or the armies of darkness will march across the face of the earth. We've got to watch Army of Darkness. But once we humble ourselves before God, the rest of those things should fall into place. <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill after you're humbled before God. Yeah. Why don't we take a break here and do that, and then we'll come back and, and finish up the story of Malcolm X. All right. What is your real name? Malcolm. Malcolm X. Uh, is that your legal name? As far as I'm concerned, it's my legal name. Would you mind telling me what your father's last name was? My father didn't know his last name. My father got his last name from his grandfather, and his grandfather got it from his grandfather, who got it from the slave master. The real names of our people were destroyed well, during slavery. Any, was there any line uh, 
any point in, in the genealogy of your family when you did have to use the last name, and if so, what was it? The last name of my forefathers yeah. was taken from them when they were brought to America and made slaves. And then the name of the slave master was given, which we refuse. We reject that name today. You mean, you, mean to... you won't even tell me what your father's supposed last name was or gifted last name was? I never acknowledge it whatsoever. So Malcolm X was working his way up in the Nation of Islam and growing in public stature uh, and also causing a lot of people to be scared, mm -hmm. particularly white people. Um, so after the Hinton incident, the NYPD started, uh, like, they put out surveillance on Malcolm X and they even started uh, trying to infiltrate the nation with uh, undercover agents. As did the FBI, as we already noted. Yeah, the FBI at that, that point had a special um, secret program known as uh, Co-Intel-Pro, Co-Intel-Pro, um, which was a counterintelligence program. And um, this was not revealed until years later, but it was basically just some shady shit that the FBI was doing to, um, you know, in investigate folks like uh, like Malcolm X. Yeah, it was domestic programs, civil rights activists, student organizations, and as a connection to a previous episode, uh, one of the FBI uh, G-men who was running COINTELPRO was W. Mark Felt, who later became Deep Throat, and in the late 70s, he was actually convicted of breaking the, the law and uh, was pardoned by Reagan. It's the kind of thing that we, they could never get away with now. The domestic surveillance, right? This this is this would never happen now in you know a period of time where the Constitution is held as sacred, and and people are, are a lot more socially conscious. Our leaders have a real respect for laws, checks and balances, and limitations on power, rights of privacy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But back then, they were just going fuck all crazy, spying on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Now the FBI is just trying to infiltrate the Kardashians to figure out what they're doing. <laughs> By infiltrate, you mean they just watch the show. <laughs> yeah, they watch the show. It's not too hard to crack into that. They DVR it. Their life is a public spectacle. It's fine. But it is hard to keep up with the Kardashians. Uh, <laughs> um, but so Malcolm X was growing in, in public stature and... Started to be followed by these groups, but he was also starting to have problems with the nation itself. Right. Um, Elijah Muhammad had, you know, when, when Malcolm X first, sorry? Genius made a funny joke, uh, that you would have noticed if you were paying attention yeah. to this partnership. Yeah. He like, here. shut the fuck up for two seconds. I'm sorry. <sighs> Go ahead, Brian. Do you, do you guys want to run the rest of it? I'm a little depressed now. It's okay, Brian. Uh, we'll give you one more it's chance. It's okay. Uh, yeah, we'll give guys. you one more chance. You're doing a pretty good job, okay? Just don't yeah. don't mess anything else up. Just try right, to I'll shut do... up when I make my jokes about The Nation magazine. <laughs> so the Harper's Bazaar of Islam was starting to... Uh, some cracks started to show in the veneer because there were rumors that Elijah Muhammad was having extramarital affairs with uh, young female members 
Um, and what's interesting is that he had, uh, when Malcolm X first joined the, the nation, his brother had been kicked out for supposedly doing the very same thing. And so when he started to hear rumors of this, and this is, we've now traveled into about the, the early 60s, so like 62, 63. He started to hear rumors of this, and he was pretty upset. And he started to question those around Elijah Muhammad, and he started to believe it was true. Additionally, he was growing so much in, in the public's viewpoint that Malcolm X was seen as the leader of the nation as opposed to Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. He was overshadowing him. Right. He was getting the magazine and the book covers and the interviews. Uh, this is right around the time that, you know, like Playboy, Playboy magazine interviewed him. He was, uh, he sold his autobiography and started working on that with Arthur Haley. And Elijah Muhammad was not Alex Alex, Haley. You mean Alex Haley. Oh, what did I say? You said Arthur. Oh, was that my last chance? Fuck. Yeah. And you can't, the you, and you can't edit British this guy. out of the show. Uh, maybe I'll just bleep it like we did the last time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll sound much better. <laughs> By the way, um, everything that we bleeped out of the last episode was just spoilers from Boardwalk Empire, so don't worry about it. <clears throat> Steve Buscemi is dead. And he won't pay the tip. Um, so, in on November 22nd, 1963, something happened. Are you going to tell uh, us? Lyndon jo- I was going to let you guys guess. Oh, Nixon was closing a deal for Studerbaker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, JF- yeah, exactly. JFK was shot, and Malcolm X publicly stated in, a, in an interview that, that the uh, chickens was- had come home to roost. Yeah, and he was glad, uh, which, you know, Elijah Muhammad and the nation were already getting some bad coverage in the press, the white press. Uh, that they had. That's because told... newspapers were white. That's why they called it that. Right. They were. Uh, they were. They had already said, you know, to members, don't say anything controversial about this. Don't speak publicly about it. And so, but on World Star Hip Hop, they got some favorable coverage. <laughs> right. What? <laughs> you mean the OK Player message boards? Yeah. Um. So he was censured for 90 days from by, by the nation and was not allowed to speak publicly for 90 days. Right, which, you know, not not that great for him. Like he couldn't say but, anything? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to publicly speak. And so after that, all these rumors about Elijah Muhammad and the jealousy that was going on, he split with the nation. And yeah, it was he, it was kind of Elijah Muhammad being mad at him for being more prominent. It was kind of like how William Shatner got really mad that Leonard Nimoy was receiving more fan mail during the original Star Trek run, and that's kind of why the series got canceled. Or it would be like if you guys learned that I was getting more fan mail for this show. Brian, let's try to keep it in the realm of possibility. <laughs> you can't even receive mail. <laughs> Oh, I just got a text message. All my plans were canceled for later this evening. <laughs> <sighs> um, but so, yeah, he, he split off. He converted to uh, Sunni Islam, which is, you know, kind of a, uh, kind of a more mainstream <laughs> strain of Islam in that it's the majority of, of Muslims. Why were you laughing just now? Uh, I don't even know. Were you going to make a Sunni purchase joke or something like that? Because that's pretty terrible. 
Yeah. Oh, fuck. Man, I am... Listeners, I am sorry. Gene Lee. This is you going gonna, terribly. You're going to make a Sunni Day real estate joke about the <laughs> Weezer side project? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, But so then he, he did his Hajj to Mecca, you know, and so he was thereafter known as... Uh, you know, Malik El Shabazz, uh, ha- El Haj Malik El Shabazz, yeah. And uh, um, there was some sort of controversy about actually getting him into to Mecca because, although he was a devout Muslim, of course, he did not speak Arabic. So um, there was, you know, there was a bit of a, a kerfuffle kind of getting him in there. But once, you know, once he started traveling the world, he visited Africa. He met with all of the the prominent um, of leaders in Africa, and it was at this time that the CIA started to see him as a a, a nas- uh, international threat. So they started um, following him around um, during his travels. The CIA did. So just to to clarify at this point, the NYPD is surveilling him, the FBI is surveilling him, the CIA is surveilling him. J Edgar Hoover is following him on Twitter. <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jager Hoover following him on Twitter, not on Google Plus, right. because he signed up for Google Plus and then just never updated. No his one was profile. on it, so yeah, no one was on yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so this is you know spring 1964, and he traveled the world, started his own uh, religious organization, and began speaking heavily for you know college students around the country but that trip to is to that trip to mecca was really influential in his ideology like we mentioned earlier he started to move away from the um you know pan-african black uh liberation ideology of the nation and it later he or he when he spoke about it in his autobiography he said you know Going to Mecca and seeing Muslims of all different races and backgrounds and nationalities, he realized that, you know, damning white people as white devils was not not the way to go, and that Islam was a, a way to unite people of all different faiths because it put them on an even playing field before God. And no one in America ever disliked Islam ever again. <laughs> and- Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. We'll see you next week on Inside Jobs. <laughs> I don't know what the conspiracy turned out to be, but yeah, great, great work, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, next week, we solve the mystery of why they still haven't made Jurassic Park 4. <laughs> Apparently, it's because Michael Crichton died. <laughs> His original name was uh, Michael Douglas, though. But then he went as Michael X. <laughs> yeah. Um. So... He's got all these enemies. He's traveling around. He's speaking a lot. He's, you know, very charismatic and influential. And then, 1965, February 21st, he goes to the Audubon Ballroom to give a speech. And uh, this is uh, this is when the tragic uh, assassination took place. And, you know, just to place it in context... Um, you know, JFK, of course, would, would be murdered, uh, had been murdered, you know, two years before. And, uh, of course, uh, in 1968, we would lose, uh, uh, Martin Luther King and then RFK. And so these four tent poles of assassination in the 1960s 
have sort of defined the turbulence and, and violence of the time. And, uh, you know, of course, there's far ranging conspiracies um, as to whether or not these murders were connected. And, you know, although there's no overt evidence, it doesn't seem right that every person who rose up and said, let's challenge the system, let's let's question how we feel about war, how we feel about racism, ends up dying in a hail of bullets under circumstance, I mean, uh, 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 suspicious circumstances. It was not uh, too much longer until America stopped declaring November National Assassination Month. <laughs> Which we celebrate to this day. Yeah. Um, no, but that's a good point. And, and what's interesting about each of these assassinations is that it's not just one side that, uh, has, has a problem with the, the victim. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a murder mystery where, you know, everybody has a motive mm-hmm. and everybody had the, the ability to do, to commit the murder. And it's the same with Malcolm X. So he's, he gets up there on stage to give this speech, and immediately a fight breaks out in the audience. Yeah, someone's like, get your hand out of my pocket or something like that. Yeah, and so everybody's distracted. Malcolm X said something like, calm down. And then suddenly a guy ran up to the stage and blasted him with a shotgun. And then at this point, everything gets very hazy. May- it's just uh, absolute mayhem. I mean, it was just from all accounts... Um, it was a terrifying scene. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, it was no one really agreed what exactly happened other than the fact that it was just absolute pandemonium. At this point, multiple people also got up out of the audience and started shooting at Malcolm X with various uh, types of weapons. Uh, his wife is there. Bet, uh, Betty Shabazz is there. So, yeah, just a horrifying scene. So it's maybe two other people for a total of three assassins, maybe a total of five, but multiple men jumped up out of the audience and started shooting him. Everybody freaked out. There was, you know, a mass rush to try to escape the the auditorium. And the NYPD had supposedly said, oh, we'll we'll protect you. We'll make sure everything is okay. But there was there was the only cop who was in there was like an undercover cop who um, was just hanging around and the, the, the. The peop- the cops who eventually captured the alleged assa- assassins that we'll get into in a bit, they weren't even the cops that were stationed there. They were just cops that were sort of rolling by. Yeah, they were on the beat. And this this ballroom is right across the street from a hospital, and yet it took 30 minutes to get Malcolm X from the ballroom to the hospital across the street. That was just because healthcare is so corrupt, though. Yeah, which finally we don't have to worry about that anymore. So public figures, because of Obamacare, if you get shot down during a speech now, they will rush you immediately to the hospital. They will rush you immediately to a death panel where they decide whether or not you should continue dying. <laughs> but yeah, so so this happens and it's hugely controversial. Nobody knows who's responsible. Press reports are inconsistent based on right. interviewing all these people who saw different things. I think there was like a smoke smoke bomb or something was dropped like that which sort of added to the the actual physical haze of the event but that was just batman escaping (laughs) (laughs) after he assassinated malcolm x well we know it wasn't bathroom batman because he bathroom bathroom. we know it wasn't batman because he (laughs) follows a strict code of not using guns oh yeah that's right um but yeah everybody's in disagreement about what happened and three men are arrested and they're all nation of Islam members. Mm -hmm. Um, So their names are 
Talmage Hare, Norman 3X Butler, and Thomas 15X Johnson. Uh, 15X Johnson referred to the size of his penis. <laughs> Wait, is that the number of X's or it was like the word or number 15? I honestly, I honestly looked this up because I was curious because so Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz or Betty X just had the one X and then these guys both have, it's a, it's a, you know, Arabic numeral before the X. Because they were more pornographic than just Malcolm X. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like triple X state of the union. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it was exactly like that. One guy was named triple X state of the union. (laughs) I, I I honestly looked it up and I could not find uh, any sort of reasoning as to why there were these numbers. So, it, listeners, if you know about it, please uh, tell us. Well, the X's, would... the Roman numerals, were referring to Roman numerals inside uh, Indiana Jones's dad's Grail diary, <laughs> which led them to the catacombs beneath New York. X never marks the spot, right? Um, so these three men were arrested and tried, and Talmadge Hare, the, the first uh, name that I mentioned, he did admit that he held a gun and was there. But he said the other guys didn't do it. Well, he didn't say that. He said that, yes, there were other shooters, but he refused to name the other Butler guy. and Johnson as the other shooters. Right. And both of them proclaimed their innocence, and... And to this day, uh, I, I know one of them is dead, uh, but the other two are alive. Yeah, to this day, they, they still uh, proclaim their innocence. Well, that's the thing is like he was trying to up his Xbox Live numbers and he didn't want them to get the assist. He wanted to get the actual, you know, kill. Right. right. He wanted to go down in history as the shooter. He didn't want those noobs to get that assist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially when they were known tryhards. <laughs> yeah. Like Reginald Bell Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a known diehard. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's a good day to try hard. <laughs> um, so who who could who could have been? Well, uh, there's all... okay. Sorry. Well, I mean, like kind of the popular sort of vague theory is that Louis Farrakhan sort of, if if he didn't order the direct assassination of Malcolm X. He created such an atmosphere of hatred towards Malcolm X that his his murder was was just um, a sure thing that it didn't even matter who would do it. Um, someone was going to pull the trigger. And in recent years, he's basically admitted to it. Farrakhan basically said, like, well, you know, what happened to Malcolm Little or what happened to Brother Malcolm? Well, we, you know, a nation deals with traitors and he was a traitor. So he was dealt with. So. Yeah, and just to clarify, Farrakhan was kind of uh, another attack dog in the nation below Elijah Muhammad, who, you know, in the in the months and weeks leading up to Malcolm X's assassination, was saying very, uh, you know, threatening things and spreading a lot of messages that were like, you know, how does a nation deal with traitors? They hang them. Yeah. And, you know... We'll cut off Brother Malcolm's head and, you know, all these sort of things that were basically a lot of metaphor that could have been <laughs> construed yeah. as literal. And then he pwned Mike Wallace in that interview where he was wearing an orange suit. And what yeah, happened? I, I just I watched a lot of Farrakhan um, just yelling while researching this in the archive. And there's this awesome 
interview where basically he's wearing an orange suit and um, he tells Mike Wallace to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds awesome! Like every time I hear Farrakhan speak, like he kind of he starts out and you're like, wow, this kind of makes sense. Like this guy, like he kind of he gets it, and then he'll just be like, and then he'll just start saying super anti-Semitic things and pronouncing. Right. He pronounces like Jewish names in the same way that, um, you know, super, super mean people say Hussein in Barack Obama's name. You know what I mean? So like how would he pronounce a Jewish name? He'd be like Lee Golden. Benjamin Netanyahu. Woody Allen Manhattan. Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, that's Woody Allen's last name, right? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Um, the Woodster. Um, yeah. So he, as as you said, yeah, Farrakhan admitted later that while he didn't pull the trigger, the the speech speeches that he was making about Malcolm X at the time did foster uh, a climate of hatred and could have led others to go after Malcolm X, believing that w- that was the wishes of the nation. Um, it was actually Mike Wallace trying to get <laughs> revenge by blaming it on Farrakhan. Right, exactly. But um, actually, it turns out, as we, as we talked about earlier, COINTELPRO, which uh, had infiltrated the nation, put this guy in uh, as, as a secretary uh, named John Ali, and he was working for the nation as a secretary. And Malcolm X said many times that, you know, part of the rift that developed between him and Elijah Muhammad was fostered by John Ali. Later, it turned out that Ali was an FBI informant working for this COINTEL program. John Ali, fabulous he, Ali of Babwa. <laughs> Are we going to have to pay Disney now? What? Are we going to have to pay Disney now? Oh. Well, after we play the song. So that that's that's one element. There, you know, there are other shadowy uh, conspiracy stories about like the FBI or the CIA or the with, Harlem you, drug lords. Right, um, Harlem. The Nation of Islam. They they were staunchly uh, anti-drugs. They basically said that you know drugs um, were the the sh- the modern shackles for the black race. That the white man used uh, marijuana. And heroin to control black people. And boy, did we. (laughs) But I found, I found a little bit more of a controversial theory about who exactly killed Malcolm X. Do you guys want to hear this? Nah, we're good. Um, Yeah, we're we're okay. Yeah. We got to go now. See ya. Yeah. They just re-released the Hitman trilogy, as Gene pointed out during the break. So, uh, yeah, kind of don't care about history anymore. It's kind of just sitting there not being played. Um, so this is uh, godlikeproductions.com, and this is on their message board. That's this... where the best historical research is done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They've got a great... Ah, never mind. So, Escort Messiah 667 says... Oh, I love his work. Ed told me that the black Muslim groups are controlled by Jews through Freemasonry. Louis <laughs> Farrakhan... Yeah, I know. Louis Farrakhan and Elijah Muhammad are Freemasons. Here is Ed Malcolm X assassination conspiracy. Malcolm X formed a black Muslim group independent of Jewish and Freemason control. 
he claimed that the order to murder Malcolm X came from the Nation of Islam, which is Jewish and Freemasonry controlled. Ed claimed that the Jews and the Freemasonry conspired to murder Malcolm X because he got independent of Jewish and Freemason control. And well, that about wraps sh- it up. Yeah. Ed is a, another guy on the message board. Is he a mod? Well, so then there's a lot of people trading videos, and then here is the the funniest part. Someone comes in with a question, hey, Freemasonry is a Jewish-formed group, right? And then so, and then someone's like, no, not right. And this other guy is livid. <laughs> no, not right. Uh, and this guy says, bullshit. They had a long-standing ban on Masons, and they assassinated the Pope before John Paul II, Parenthesis, who was Jewish. <laughs> and then this Obviously. number is bolded 33 days into his papacy because he found out that the church was crawling with Masons and he was going to do something about it. The church was crawling with Masons because they had hired Masons to fix up the building. <laughs> right. I mean, that stuff has been around for thousands of years. Yeah, grossly misinterpreted. And like a lot of the conspiracy evidence. And a lot of the Masons were actually just being portrayed by crisis actors. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that really sums it up. The Jews who invented Freemasonry controlled the nation of Islam. And when Malcolm X splintered from the nation and formed his own group, they weren't in control of it, so they knew they had to take him out. Wow. Sounds pretty airtight. That's That one's, I mean, do I even need to ask you guys if you think this is a conspiracy? Because that sounds exactly true. Yeah. Wrapped it up. Yeah, I that, mean, if you were to ask, I would think you're asking me a trick question. <laughs> yeah, because before before this, Gene and I hopped on uh, the uh, Hitman trilogy, and we replayed the Malcolm X level, um, <laughs> right. and it 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 definitely was the Jewish Muslim Freemasons. Yeah, the the way I decided to beat the level was to become a Jewish Muslim Freemason, rather than right. just shoot everybody and then try to get away, leaving no witnesses. I knocked out the guy in the chicken suit and took his outfit. (laughs) And this is what I had to become aware of on my pilgrimage to Mecca. I could see then that there are many white people in this country who will side with the Negro in whatever he has to do to protect himself. But that's a considerable change of opinion in Malcolm X. No, today I'm speaking for myself. Formerly, I spoke for Elijah Muhammad. And everything I said was, Elijah Muhammad teaches us thus and so. I'm speaking now from what I think, from what I have seen, from what I have analyzed, and and the conclusions that I have reached. Then the white man is no longer the devil, and he is no longer bound to be evil? If I judge a man by his conscious behavior, I am not a racist. I don't subscribe to any of the tenets of racism. Then there are good whites and good blacks and bad whites and blacks. It's not a case of being good and bad, good or bad, blacks and whites. It's a case of being good or bad human beings. Well, I'm glad that we figured that one out because, woof, what a mystery. Yeah. It really feels well, good to clear that one up. Yeah, seriously. What are we, like six for six now in solving conspiracies? Man, we've got a really good track record. Yeah, we're basically like the ghost hunters. Like, wherever we go, we find ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, my grandpa is uh, haunting um, his house right now. He's hunting his house? Yeah. Um, but... His house got up and ran off. <laughs> yeah, it's like a poltergeist. 
It's no. like, oh, it's like up. It floated away, and now he's yeah. sailing the skies in a zeppelin like Ahab, trying to hunt down and harpoon his yeah, house. Yeah, his Man. house murdered his family, and now he's hell-bent <laughs> on revenge. He's got tattoos all over his saggy old man body. Only him, Coach, and Ed Asner can stop him. Yeah. <laughs> Man, one of our one of our business partners has uh, Ed Asner as their spokesperson, so every, every time I call them when they put me on hold... The whole music. Wait, is your is... business the nine eleven truthers? <laughs> yes, basically. That's what I was about to ask. And when I get put on hold, it goes, "Hi, I'm Ed Asner," and like I was talking to this VP, and and she goes, "Oh, sorry for putting you on hold." And I said, "No problem. I'm a big fan of the Lou Grant show." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we wrap this episode up now that we've solved the Malcolm X murder? It was Lou Grant and Mary Tyler Moore. Who are Freemasons who are controlled by the Jews and that Pixar. run the nation of Islam. Right. right. With, some, yeah, with an well, assist by the police in the form of an undercover cop played by Reginald Velt Johnson. <laughs> who wasn't that undercover because he was still in his Ghostbusters police uniform. Man, have I mentioned this on the show? My friend went to film school at UC or uh, USC with this guy who was like senior project was he wrote a film and the plot of the film was reginald vell johnson becomes like a subway cop and that's it, it, not he's not playing a character it, it is the man reginald vell johnson becomes a subway cop and he has to solve like a series of crimes wait is it the actual actor reginald vell johnson yes. or the character reginald vell johnson that he appears as in every show he's in it's pretty much like a star vehicle Oh, okay. Wait, so then when they couldn't get Reginald Vell Johnson, they just changed it to being John Malkovich, right? <laughs> yeah, it's John Malkovich as Reginald Vell Johnson. Yeah, it was originally being Reginald Vell Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds great. It really he it actually sounds life. better than being uh, whoever whoever they ended up using. Man, you get so many donuts, you get to be friends with Urkel. Yep. Being John Vell Johnson. <laughs> Reginald Bell John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that was a great episode. We solved, definitively solved, the murder of Malcolm X. We're probably all going to get assassinated now. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, probably me, because I was the one who uncovered it. Yeah, we're just getting way too close to the truth. Yeah. What Maybe happens we should... when we... Oh, sorry? What happens when we actually get to the actual truth because i think we'll just find a big folder of all of uh jagger hoover's fuck pictures <laughs> a picture pictures of of bobby and john fucking bobby and john <laughs> fucking j edgar hoover <laughs> the holy grail of presidential pornography oh man mm-hmm. he totally filmed it yeah Zapruder filmed it Zapruder filmed it. Yeah, he used the same that's camera. So, that's why it's so shaky. Yeah, that's why there are frames missing. <laughs> right, and if you if you look at some of the balls in the background, they don't match up with the balls in the foreground. Yeah. So they think they might have superimposed balls into those films. Also, well, J. Edgar he... Hoover keeps getting donkey punched back into the left. Yeah, it's the magic <laughs> ball theory. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, if if you li- if you liked this episode, or if you think we uh, solved the case wrong, which impossible, you can get in touch with us. If you think um, anything at all, 
Yes. There are no conditions for what you might think. You just, if it even, if it occurs to you to give any kind of feedback for just any reason, it doesn't even have to be related to the show, we invite you to give it. If you want to hang out, I'm available. (laughs) (laughs) You can make and cancel plans with Brian Lane. (laughs) Well, you can get in touch with us on... In several ways. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow us. We are at InsideJobsCast. You can email us, InsideJobsCast at gmail.com. Or you can call in our uh, hotline, which we played a call last week. We had too many calls to play this week right. is why we didn't play a call. Yeah, they were all so great. We just couldn't decide which ones to play. We couldn't unleash that on the world. And there was way too but... much truth in the phone calls, too. The phone number is 413-225-1963. Or you can contact me on Xbox Live. My name is Admiral Snackbar. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, it's uh, not hilarious. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Oh, wow. Man. We might not be closer to the truth, but we're definitely closer to the truth in comedy by Del Close. <laughs> that was an amazing joke. Um, yeah, or you can just always go to our website, InsideJobsCast.com. Uh, I usually post supplemental material to each episode. You put the so. supple in supplemental, Brian. Yeah, I do. Oh, your butt cheeks are so soft. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the talcum powder. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, I think this was a great episode. Uh, I hope the listeners liked it. And I hope that America is now thankful that Malcolm X's murder has been solved. Yep. We will see you again in two weeks. Until then, follow the money. I'm Ed Asner. Follow the money. Should I stop recording now? Okay. (laughs)